So I believe that real estate should be the largest part of your portfolio. And largest means for way over anything else. And right now, I would say I'm a little over 50% in real estate. I used to have 5% in cryptos and startups. I am up to now 10%. So I don't recommend people doing that. If you are just starting, I would say put 1% of your portfolio in cryptos. Once you start understanding and start believing into it and see what all can you do, once you start understanding those advanced and complex strategies of DeFi, decentralized finance, then maybe you can raise your game and get up to 5%. That was Alpesh Parmar. So he is the host of Wealth Matters. He's also an investor in real estate and cryptocurrency. It's a great show where we kind of get into a little bit of real estate. We get into the market and we get into cryptocurrency as an alternative. He's a miner and he's got a pretty robust portfolio of cryptocurrencies. So something new for the show. I'm excited. I hope you like it and stay tuned. The limited partner shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. All right, partners, welcome again. This is your host, Jake Wiley. Really excited to have Alpesh Parmar with me. I was actually had the fortune to be a guest on his show recently, which is an incredible podcast, so you should check it out, Wealth Matters. But Alpesh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jake, for having me. Well, I'm excited to get into it and just to kind of time date this for those of you that are not listening to this contemporaneously with the release of the show. It is kind of the end of April of 2023, so the market is in a really interesting place. We're still trying to figure out what this all looks like. So I'm sure that we will get into some interesting topics on the show, but Alpesh, for the benefit of my listeners out there that, that don't know you and haven't had the opportunity to check out Wealth Matters, tell us about your background. How'd you get, how'd you get here? Sure. So of course, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I come from IT world. As you can tell from my accent, I'm from India, right? So not to be racist here, but that is, uh, I am in IT world or I was in IT world. So when I moved from India to US, I did my master's in computer science and then I was working in IT. Got laid off in 2009 from a big four consulting firm. And that is when my journey, not the real estate journey, but my non-W2 journey started. And I haven't worked for an employer since 2009. So I started looking for how can I rely on myself, right? So I started an IT business and then once that got going, I realized that I'm still, you know, dependent on that income and that income is dependent on me working. So back in 2011, I became accidental landlord and that's when I started understanding about the power of real estate. And 2015 is actually where I sold that particular property because I was in California and I didn't want to keep that property anymore. Just with the tenant-friendly laws, I started investing in out-of-state. And that is when I would say I 
fully dived into real estate. Even that my first property was a disaster, I continued to buy single family properties for a couple of years. And then 2017, I started thinking about how can I, before the goal was to generate as much passive income as possible, uh, create a lot of multiple streams of income. But 2017, I started thinking about how I can replace my IT income, right? IT business. And that's when I started looking into going bigger, right? Because I was like, if I'm buying three, four properties a year, that's not going to make it, right? The single families or duplexes, etc. So 2017, I actually bought two nine units in different markets, one in California, actually, and the other one in Birmingham, Alabama, which I actually still own the Birmingham property. But that's when I started seeing the, again, the power of scaling up, growing. And that was it. After that, you know, I have bought large apartment buildings. Now we mostly focus on mobile home parks and self-storage facilities as well. Retail shopping centers. We also invest in senior housing facilities. So those are some of our core areas. But we also have Bitcoin mining funds. And the goal was when we launched Bitcoin mining funds, was how can we use cryptocurrency the same way we use real estate? You know, and how do we use real estate? Like a three-legged stool, right? One, it gives you appreciation over time. Second, it gives you depreciation, which is tax benefits. And third, it gives you cash flow. That's exact same mechanism we wanted to see in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. So by creating a Bitcoin mining fund, we were able to write off all the machines we use. They are called miners. So, you know, that's depreciation. Once we mine the Bitcoin, we send out, we send distribution to investors every month. So that is cash flow. And we are hoping right, that, you know, Bitcoin in next five years would appreciate. So that's my journey because I come from IT world. I enjoy cryptocurrencies. But of course, I think you and I know, and I've heard your podcast as well, that real estate is the way to go. So yeah, I'm currently focusing more on recession-resistant assets like mobile home parks, senior housing, and self-storage facilities. Well, there's a ton of really interesting you know, topics in there that we'll probably pick at. So this the show may be kind of all <laughs> over the place. But you know, as we think about the current market, like you mentioned, you know, more, I guess, resilient type assets and your strategy as opposed to like multifamily. I guess explain your thought process behind that. What makes something more kind of recession resistant than something else? Sure. No, that's a great question. So let's just to take a look at an example of multifamily or mobile home parks, right? And we'll also talk about self-storage facilities. But everyone, there are three things in life we need as a human being, you know, one is in India, we call it as Roti Kapraur Makan. That means bread, clothes, and shelter, right? So uh, those are the three things we absolutely need. And as you know, when recession hits, there may be some foreclosures, and there may be some short sale. People may have to move out. People may move in with their, you know, parents or parents may move in with the kids, but in the end, they need a place to stay. And when, when something like that happens, usually where do people go? They have to sell their house or some, or maybe whatever, for whatever reason. They still need a place to live. So they, where would they go? They may go into an apartment building, right? They still got 
they have to pay rent, right? Some people, if they can't afford apartment or maybe they were able to afford an RV or mobile home and they will move on to a mobile home park or maybe they prefer their own yard and, you know, separation of walls. That is the reason they make that into move into a mobile home park, right? So shelter is very important. And let's talk about self-storage. Every time, and actually, if you look back in 2009 and in 2001, self-storage is better when there were foreclosures or when the, the recession hit, right? Because we Americans, we love our possessions. We don't want to get rid of this, you know, treasures, right? So if we have to downsize, if we have to move into an apartment or a small mobile home park, where are we going to keep all our stuff in a self-storage facilities, facility, right? And how much does it cost? You don't care about it because it's like 50 bucks a month. Max, maybe if you are in California, 80, 90, 100 bucks a month. So that's negligible when you compare it to the, you know, getting into a large apartment that could be, you know, two, three grand a month of rent, right? So I just looking back at 2001, 2009, all of these assets did really well. And they were, of course, there will be some assets which will get in trouble as well because of over leverage or market. But overall, these assets did spectacularly well. Well, let's transition into some of this cryptocurrency discussion because that, I think it's fascinating. My, my wife is actually a little bit into it now. And as we think <laughs> about, you know, what cryptocurrency is, I guess, supposed to be is that it really actually should be a hedge against the overall economy, right? Because as, right. as you get scared of what's happening in the marketplace, then you've got yes. cryptocurrency, which is outside. But I guess explain your thought process behind you know, cryptocurrency and is it a hedge? It seems to be, you know, kind of following a lot closer these days to, you know, the NASDAQ right. than it was in the past where they used to kind of think like they would go in opposite yeah. directions. But tell me your thoughts on that. Yes. So I used to consider it as a hedge and a lot of people called actually Bitcoin as the digital gold and Ethereum, which is the number two cryptocurrency. People used to call it as digital silver, right? So they were basically saying that in new world, how gold and silver worked, right? Where before it was gold or silver was hedge against inflation, right? People thought that the same way Bitcoin and you know Ethereum will work. But I, you're right. Last couple of years, especially after COVID, Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies are basically tracking Nasdaq. Because what happened is that when star government started throwing free money at people, they started putting money in risky assets. And I consider cryptocurrency definitely still a risky asset. It's going to be volatile. You got to believe in it, and you got to understand what the usage of these currencies are, right? But they started throwing money at same way in tech stocks and in uh, uh, cryptos, right? So that's so how this and what happened overall then. Also, the stack companies started investing in cryptos like MicroStrategy, Stripe, you know, you name it, Square, PayPal, Tesla, the biggest one, right? And Facebooks and Microsoft as well. So now even their stock performance was tied to some, you know, performance of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And that's the reason I think it's being tracked right now. And that will continue for some time. Still, we see a lot of the big market players like Fidelity, JP Morgan Chase, and a lot of others. Like we saw BlackRock started investing in cryptos as well, and they are using Coinbase as their custodian, right? So once these big players start coming into it, I think it will slowly 
track away from NASDAQ, but the trend will continue, I would say, at least for another couple of years. So that's one thing. And I consider not only as a hedge, but what we see in the banking sector recently, right? The issues, the Silicon Valley Bank and the Signature Bank and a lot of other banks, right? First Republic, Credit Suisse. People realize that, you know, when you are investing in, of course, stocks, you are totally at the mercy of government, right? Because Wall Street is pretty much driven by all the news and media. But even real estate, a lot of it is your money is still tied to US dollar or euro or whatever, right? So people started, we realized that they have to break away and they have to get into some of these alternative currencies as well. And that's why if you see, as soon as the banking crisis started, the cryptocurrency started going back up. Right, because people started pulling money out of you know treasuries and bonds and whatnot, or and started investing in cryptos. So I think that is a play here as well. I believe that if you really want to control your own money, you got to put some of it in cryptos. I know it's going to be risky, but it's also an asset. No one can confiscate from you in theory, right? Because you 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 own your keys, the private keys, then no one can just take it away from you and. There are no borders to use it. You know, if a country decides that they don't want to accept U.S. dollar or euro, but that side, whoever is sitting on the other side, they may be still accepting Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? So pretty much it's a global currency, and that's how I look at it. Yeah, and I mean, it's really fascinating to watch, you know, because as we, you know, like I said, my wife is getting into it, so I get to be a part of this conversation. But, you know, if we go right. back last year, I mean, Bitcoin was at, you know, in the sixty thousand dollar range, and then yeah, you know, this, from this, you sixty-nine know, to eighteen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at one point in time, I think it touched sixteen thousand. I mean, to so that you talk about volatility, that's some significant volatility. Yes, but at the same time, like if you were, you know, Bitcoin and some of these other currencies aren't really meant to be traded as if they were cash. They are a little bit longer term holds. So the trend is going in the right direction. But you know, you mentioned mining, and I guess for those of my listeners out there that may not fully appreciate mining, that's slightly different than just investing in cryptocurrency. So I'd love to hear, you know, high-level strategy of what mining is and why are you doing that? Sure. So mining in a nutshell, if any, if someone is doing stocks and options, it's more like a call option. Right. So basically you are hedging, you are getting the Bitcoin right now at a lower price in anticipation that it will go up, right, in near future or in long term. So that is what it is. But if we look deep and dig deep into it, it's similar to like gold mining. The way Bitcoin program is written, that there is going to be 39 million Bitcoin out there. And out of that, 21 has already been mined. So it's not, it's basically scarce. It's a finite resource. It's not like U.S. dollar where they are going to, you know, continue to print as and when needed, right? And that is how they depreciate per dollar, right? And that is what is inflation, right? So, right, every every second, there is a puzzle which the machines, the computers solve together. And when they solve it, a Bitcoin is mined. And that Bitcoin is then shared amongst those machines, right? So, that is what is mining. And the way we do it, because we buy those machines, these machines are expensive. When we bought them, they were at about $10,000 a machine. Right now, because when the Bitcoin price goes down, the value of those machines as well go down. So they were trading at 
three, four thousand a pop machine as well, right? So, but we when we buy this many machines, for example, for one fund we bought ten thousand machines, right? So now you are looking at depreciating because it's a hardware being used in business. So we were able to pretty much write off ninety percent of it in the first year, similar to real estate, right? The right cost segregation study or bonus depreciation, same principle applies. So that's one thing right there. We were able to give investors a tax break. And second, we were when we were mining the Bitcoin, we would, you know, divide it pro rata and send it to the investors every month. So now they are getting the cash flow. And the idea was that, you know, as a sponsor, we will not take any money from that distribution till we have made investors full whole, right? So that way, let's say if someone has invested fifty thousand. If we can return that 50,000 through distributions in two to three years, then till then we will not take any any kind of fees and after that we'll share the profit 50-50. So that, that is the distribution model or the cash flow model. And third is, of course, if you hold your Bitcoin for long term, it will appreciate. Again, no one can time the market and I'm not trying to time the market, but the idea is to you know hold it for long term. Again, that the only difference between Bitcoin or crypto and real estate is liquidity, right? This In real estate, that's the reason we can't time the market because it's illiquid. You can't say, oh, I'm going to sell it in six months and I'm going to find a buyer next day or, you know, same moment. This is where Bitcoin or cryptos are similar to stocks because there is so much liquidity. Actually, the liquidity is 24-7. And that's where investors get into trouble because as soon as they see price dropping, they want to get out. Or if they see prices increasing a little bit, oh, I want to get out and, you know, well, pretty much cash cash out my portfolio. And I have done that mistake. I actually invested in Bitcoin and Ethereum back in 2016. And I think Bitcoin was at 800 bucks and Ethereum was at $12. I sold when Bitcoin hit 1600. I'm like, yeah, I doubled my money. You know, I'm done. So I don't do that anymore. I don't, I look at the price every day. But I don't care where the price is at. I just want to see where, you know, what's the market doing. But yeah, that is what the mining is, that we can combine the same principles of real estate into Bitcoin. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really fascinating. And the way that, you know, Bitcoin's really the only one that is kind of stands out there on its own where there's nobody controlling yes. it and there's, you know, a limited supply right. and there's a algorithm that'll release these coins over time, right? Based on yep. the, the, I guess, the work to put into it. But let's kind of tie these things together, right? And in this current environment, you know, we already talked about, you know, I guess, recession resistant assets like self-storage. We talked about Bitcoin. We've talked about, you know, some multifamily. I guess, what do you think the right allocation is? And I mean, we're not really giving investment advice here, but if somebody is kind of looking at the market and saying like, I do need to diversify a little bit. What? How would you guide them? Oh, that's a good question. And I get this question almost all the time from my friends and listeners as well. And then what I tell them that, of course, I can't give any investment advice, but I can talk about my own portfolio and see if you, if it will work for you or if it makes sense to you, right? So I believe that real estate should be the largest part of your portfolio. And largest means was way over anything else. And right now, I would say I'm a little over 50% in real estate uh, from in my portfolio. I have, 
I used to have 5% in cryptos and startups. I am up to now 10%. because So I don't recommend people doing that. If you are just starting, I would say put 1% of your portfolio in cryptos. Once you start understanding and start believing into it and see what all can you do. And also crypto, also you can generate passive income. So for example, you can stake your Ethereum and generate passive income of 5% or so in the form of Ethereum, right? So there are ways to, so once you start understanding those advanced and complex strategies of DeFi, decentralized finance, then maybe you can raise your game and get up to 5%. But I'm up to like 10% in cryptos and startup, about 20% or so in stocks. And again, I don't manage those. I personally don't do stocks now. They are managed by my IRA folks, JP Morgan Chase, the guys, the fund managers, because I do believe that you should have some exposure in, but I don't want to deal with it as, you know, as your name of your podcast suggests, limited partner, you can't be an expert in everything. So you got to rely on experts, right? And the goal is in, in stocks, I don't want to spend my time researching. So I would let, I let the experts do their job, right? And then I keep 10 percent or so in cash slash gold and silver, right? You always want to have 10 to 20 percent in cash. So drive out already because the market could shift. And as long as you have some money ready to deploy, then you can snap some deals. Yeah. And I, one thing you said in there, which I thought was, I really want to kind of come back to you more as just a, a, an emphasis point is, you know, especially with crypto, but it really pertains to all of real estate too, is that you need to understand right. kind of your little niche, yeah. right? And you need to really understand what you're getting into because there are a lot of nuances. And crypto is a great point yeah. is that there are a lot of little things that you can do and there's micro coins and then there's Bitcoin on one side and then there's all this stuff that's yeah. transactional in between. And yes, there are some really interesting plays and you could follow somebody on on you know YouTube that'll, that's you know peddling what to do with it. But right. you, really, you, you really need to know what you're doing and it needs to be probably in a very small window and if you don't know you need to work with an expert right and i feel that exact way right. about real estate hence you know you pointed out at you know very aptly this is about being a limited partner this is not about being the general partner this is about how do you go right. out and find the right people to work with that are you know right. up to their eyeballs in the information and you know enough that you can pick the right players Right. And I think that I really appreciate that point on crypto. I think that applies to everything. But yes, you know, the crypto stuff is very seductive, right? It's, it's really exciting and the movements can be really exciting and people have made a lot of money and it's like the, you know, startups and all of those things. But your very small, you know, your recommendation of having a very small piece is good, right? Because it says like, you should get in, you shouldn't just, you know, close your eyes and have blinders on but you need to work your way up, right? And get comfortable with it before you start getting it. And I think too, that like when you go in small, like you mentioned, you're going to see like, wow, there's so much stuff I don't know. And I don't understand why did that happen? And why did this news affect it like this? And then you can start to you know, kind of graduate yourself up if you want to get a little bit more advanced. But thank you for pointing that out. Absolutely. Well, I think we're, you know, as we get here to the end of the show, I like to finish every episode with a bit of gratitude because, you know, we all get to where we are because somebody else believed in us along the way. And I want to give you an opportunity to maybe give a shout out to somebody that maybe believed in you before you were really ready for it and, you know, has helped you along the way. So anybody out there that you'd like to give a public shout out to? 
So absolutely, of course, it's first it's my wife, <laughs> right? Because she she allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do, right? I tried a lot of investments. By the way, in 2015, I lost money in startups. I lost money in real estate. The very first real estate, as well as I, I was I started doing options and futures, and I lost pretty good chunk of money. And that's when I realized I can't be an expert at everything, right? So definitely my wife, and then second would be my friend and my business partner from my IT company, Eric. He, even though he was running an IT company, he had been investing in real estate. So when I started landlording accidentally, he kept telling me, oh man, start doing this and that and, and invest here, buy here. So he was already doing it and I was able to watch him very closely because of course, you know, we are the business partners in our IT business, right? So I could tell where he was moving his money to and he would tell me up front as well. So so it was fun watching him and that, that gave me a lot of motivation. Well, that's a great story. So second your wife, my wife is the same way. Like she believes in me probably more than I do at times <laughs> and it's super helpful. <laughs> and then, you know, having somebody that you can shadow, like your business partner and one that's willing to let you look over the shoulder, yeah. that's fantastic. So Eric, I hope you're listening. Wow, Pesh, this has been an incredible show. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jake, for having me. I enjoyed thoroughly. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows, so I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. Head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time.